You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. The flag was not folded because he showed respect. He came down into the street, laid the flag down, burned it. We're proud of our country. We respect our flag. That's not what we're regulating here. We are simply trying to preserve the flag as a symbol for all people. Barbara Bush wore a flag scarf, for example. Uh, There are flag bikinis. There are flag everything. Oh, it's that time again. Time for another Civics 101 IRL, where we dive into the historic moments related to our regular episode topics. I'm Nick Capodice, and with me as always is Hannah McCarthy. Hey there, folks. Virginia will be back for the next one. This is a supplement to our episode 79, which is about the U.S. flag code. And there was so much to talk about that we had to cut the flag in half. For my half, I'm going to do history of the flag and history of the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes, and I'm going to do Supreme Court cases that involve the flag and the pledge. Do you want to start with history? Yes, please. Let's do it. Through the ages, man has sought to distinguish his castle, his clan, or his country by means of a crest, generally a flag, claimed to the world his ideal, a symbol of his patriotism. So, Nick, do you know where the American flag comes from, who designed the American flag? I was always taught Betsy Ross sewed and designed the first American flag. That is the prevailing history. Uh But as it turns out, there is no written documentation that this is the case. The story actually comes from Betsy Ross's grandson. He goes to the Historical Society of Philadelphia and he says, my grandmother designed the American flag. What? And all that he has is testimony from Ross family members. You know, so the thing is that Betsy Ross was a flag maker in Philadelphia through the late 1770s. So she was probably sewing American flags, but this idea that she came up with the design, the 13 stars in a circle, there's no real evidence aside from the Rosses insisting that this was uh-huh. the case. And they don't have, they had no evidence to like back it up? No written documentation, you know. Is that true? That she didn't design the flag? Yeah. I'm not going to say for sure because it's possible, right? But all that you've got are affidavits from her family members. So if Betsy Ross didn't design the American flag... Who did? Yeah, that's a good question. Some historians, not all, believe that it was a man named Francis Hopkinson, and there's good reason to believe him, but that idea that he designed the American flag is based entirely on the fact that he claimed to have designed the American flag. So once again, you're running up against this. There's no written proof that this person designed it. Mm -hmm. The reason it's more likely to have been Francis Hopkinson is that he definitely helped to create the design of the seal for the University of Pennsylvania, the seal of the state of New Jersey, and the great seal of the United States. He's a seal man. He's a seal man. Seal guy. He designed the U.S. seal. And that's enough of kind of like, well, this guy's got some background in design. In design. He did this too. In patriotic design. And he was a known patriot. 
Okay. So seems a little more likely. And real quick, do you know yeah. when this was? Is this around like the... Oh, yeah, of course. This was in the late 1770s. So 1776, 1777, we've got this flag that the Continental Congress is flying. The alternate stripes indicated a dissension from the king's rule. But the Union Jack also indicated a feeling of loyalty to the mother country. And now this flag very closely resembles our flag, except for the fact that the Canton, which is that inner upper left-hand corner square. That's called the Canton. That's called the Canton. The blue square. That's right. Oh, I learned something new today. Yeah. We already had the 13 stripes, Mm -hmm. and that was actually a very popular uh, design that would be displayed on coats of arms across Europe. So there was precedent for that. The Canton that we had was actually just the British Union Jack. So we had that plus our 13 stripes representing our 13 colonies. So the many stripes was a trope. Exactly. But yes. The, the number 13 was because of our 13 colonies. It was because of our 13 colonies. Gotcha. So we were not f- strictly flying that British flag. We were s- flying our 13 British colonies flag, and we were working toward independence from mm-hmm. the British. Now, although we cannot say definitively who designed our new flag, that new flag on June 14, 1777, was the result of the Continental Congress passing an act that established this official flag of the new nation. So the phrasing of that resolution, it is resolved that the flag of the United States be 13 stripes, alternate red and white, and the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field, representing a new constellation. Okay. I like that, a new yeah. constellation. Yeah, it's very nice. So initially, we had this flag, which had our 13 five-pointed stars in a circle in the blue canton. Gotcha. And then as states joined the Union, we would add both stars and stripes. What? <laughs> That's right. So on January 13, 1794, Congress enacted a law giving the, us the flag with 15 stars and 15 stripes. When did we stop? So we actually stopped just after Vermont and Kentucky were introduced. We only got to 15. Oh, thank God. And then they, then they realized. Then they realized that it was going to be visual chaos yeah. on the American flag. If, you know, they knew that the nation was going to continue to grow. They might not have known it was going to get to 50. Right. But just imagine that 50 stars next to 50 tiny little stripes. So in 1818... In their great wisdom, Congress passes a law stipulating that the original 13 stripes be restored and only new stars be added. Oh, cool. So, so th- are there like a couple 15-stripe flags there out are. there? There are. You can actually order one. <gasps> they still make them just so somebody can say, you know, this is the flag that we had for this period of time in history. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so the flag we know today, because the flag has changed so many times, it's actually the 27th iteration of the U.S. flag. Okay, so they didn't add a star every time we added a state. They'd like wait for a couple. Correct. Okay. Yeah, because we were adding at such a rapid rate. So you'll have only these 27 different versions of the flag. Every star, a state. Every state, a star. Cool. That's mm-hmm. the flag. That's the flag. Now the pledge is tied to the flag, right? So the pledge is tied to the flag, but it's also really closely tied to patriotism, uh-huh. union, and I would say the Americanization of people in this country. Wow. Can I ask you, did you say the pledge when you were in school? I said the pledge every single morning, I believe through middle school. Stopped for me at middle school, too. I said it in yeah. elementary school. All right, so what's up with the pledge? Yeah, I'm actually going to start us before the Pledge of Allegiance because we had a flag salute 
before we ever had a Pledge of Allegiance. So the original flag salute is by Rear Admiral George Balch. He'd been at West Point. He served in the Civil War. And then later on in his career, he finds himself working for the New York City Board of Education. And he starts noticing that there are suddenly a ton of immigrant children in classrooms across the city. And they don't necessarily sound like native-born Americans. Uh They They might not think like native-born Americans. Because he's encountering these foreign-born students, he wants to teach American principles and help them to develop this ritual that could foster an American identity. So what he does is he develops this pledge-salute combo where children would salute the flag and speak the following. I give my heart and my hand to my country, one country, one language, one flag. Wow, one language too? One language. So this was a straight-up, this is a guy who wanted America to look and sound a certain way. Yes. What years are we talking about here? So this is in 1887. Okay. Yeah, so it actually... This is the height... This is like just near the height of uh, both German and Russian Jewish immigration. The Italians are just starting to come in. Exactly. So this is when the face, the sound of America is changing again in a big way. In a big way. And he's like, we've got to put a stop to that. Or yeah. We have to change that, it sounds like. I think there was perhaps a fear of the influence of immigrants, if not the immigrants themselves. Yeah. Let them in, but make sure they become us, right. I think was kind of the idea. So... Not that long after this fact, we are going to come up on the pledge. And this is in 1892, which I believe was the same year that Ellis Island was officially open for business. certainly was. And you've got millions of people coming in through Ellis Island. It's a very visible immigration from elsewhere into the United States. Not only that, but the country is only 30 years into post-Civil War recovery. So this idea of uh, national union is still kind of fragile because we almost broke up, you know. So there are some who think that patriotism is kind of sinking in the country. Too many people who are foreign born are moving in, are changing the ways that we think and we speak. And we also aren't totally certain that we can keep this country together, if only because we came so close to losing it. Right. So... There's this man named Daniel Sharp Ford. He's the owner of a magazine called Youth's Companion. And he was particularly concerned with what he saw as this, you know, sinking morale in this country, this sinking patriotism. And he wants to boost it. So one of his employees, one of the people who writes for him, is named Francis Bellamy. He's a minister and an author for Youth's Companion. And so he asks Bellamy to compose a pledge of allegiance to the flag in hopes that it's going to boost patriotism. And here's the original language of the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Wow, there's a lot that's changed since then. There's quite a bit that's changed. Well, I think my flag sounds a bit more inclusive. It's like sort of implying that all these newcomers, these new Americans, you know, who are coming here are part of us. That's my flag because I'm here. Something that we probably take for granted is that there is an American flag in every classroom. A big part of the reason, let's just say that there are so many classrooms in the United States, is that at the same time that Youth's Companion publishes this Pledge of Allegiance and these instructions for this pledge, they start selling flags at cost 
to about 26,000 schools across the country. Uh, So then the pledge became really popular, and that salute became known as the Bellamy salute. I think they simplified it to just this arm straight outward, Uh you know, at a slight angle, level with the forehead, which looks just like the Nazi salute. During World War II, of course, we are seeing photographs and film of Nazis with their arms straight out. And we decide maybe this isn't what we should be doing. Hand on the heart. Hand on the heart. So that's when that transition happens. Then revisions start to happen to the pledge itself. So in 1923, my flag is changed to the flag of the United States. So then in 1954, we add the words under God. 54? 1954. So I think a lot of people grow up thinking that this pledge is kind of as old as the country itself. I thought it had under God from the 1800s. It sounds like something that would have been concocted (laughs) in the 1800s. You don't really think that in 1954 that they're going to add the words under God. Yeah, like just before the 60s. Things were about to blow up in this country. The reason that happened was because we see communism as this huge threat to this country. Communists are considered godless. Eisenhower signs a congressional resolution to pass under God into the Pledge of Allegiance. But it wasn't just Eisenhower. It's also because of a three-year campaign by the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus. Yeah. That is the initial history of the Pledge of Allegiance. That's how we got up to the language that we use today. Okay. Wow. So Betsy Ross didn't make the flag. We don't even really know who designed it. Or rather, we can't say for sure. You ready for this? I'm ready. Are you, aren't you excited to hear about some court cases? I'm so excited. After all this boring history. Yes, blah, blah. So here are two Supreme Court cases about saluting the flag and two about burning it. Number one, Minersville v. Gobitis, 1940. William and Lillian Gobitis, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And this is really important for this story. Okay. So this is what I didn't know about the Jehovah's Witness faith. Mm-hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses view God's kingdom as a government. Whoa. Yes. And therefore, they refrain from pledging allegiance to any other government. Oh. And like nationalist songs and dances and parties and anything that's like pro a country is anathema to them. Because in their faith, the country of God is the only country to which they should swear allegiance. That's really interesting. Yeah. And we see Jehovah's Witnesses pop up again and again because of this. Because they can't be patriotic. Right. (laughs) It must make it hard to live anywhere. It's only fitting that these two kids, the Gobitis family in Pennsylvania, they refuse to say the Pledge of Allegiance and they are summarily expelled from school in 1940. Wow. It goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court Mm -hmm. and it is an eight to one vote for Minersville School District. Okay. So the kids uh, were not in their constitutional rights to not say the pledge. On what grounds exactly? Well, <laughs> everybody make that concurred. It was a, it was an, it was a, almost unanimous. Yeah. The justice who wrote the opinion was named uh, Justice F- uh, Felix Frankfurter, and okay. he's a famed justice who was on the bench a long time. He said that national unity is the basis of national security. So mm-hmm. if we're going to succeed as a nation, we have to say that some things are respected. And they, uh, he went on to say that a pledge for the flag is secular. It's not religious. It's for your nation. So you shouldn't consider it like that you do of God. Hmm. 
Harlan Stone said in his dissent of the case that, uh, quote, there are other ways to teach loyalty and patriotism, which are the sources of national unity, than by compelling the people to affirm that which he does not believe. Mm -hmm. So we have a Supreme Court who almost unanimously says, hey, everybody should go and support the flag. Okay. Everybody should say the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. What happens after, almost immediately after this decision comes out, Um, A mob of 2,500 people burned down the Jehovah's Witnesses Kingdom Hall in Kennebunkport, Maine. Um, All the Jehovah's Witnesses in an Illinois town are jailed to protect them from citizens who are rioting. Jehovah's Witnesses are lynched. They're publicly hanged. And one sheriff said, quote, they're traitors. The Supreme Court said so. Ain't you heard? Wow. Three Supreme Court justices, uh, Black, Douglas, and Murphy, they state in another opinion that uh, they'd made the wrong decision. Wow. So in the wake of Minersville Vigo Bitis, not only is there a huge surge against Jehovah's Witnesses in the mm-hmm. U.S., but there's a surge of flag laws in the U.S. saying you have to say the pledge. Wow. Um, West Virginia is one of them. They make it compulsory. They say that if you don't say the Pledge of Allegiance in the morning, you are insubordinate. And that law is what brings us to our next case, West Virginia v. Barnett, 1943. Marie and Gaithy Barnett, Jehovah's Witnesses, refuse to say the pledge. It goes up to the Supreme Court. But something is different. Something is different in the air of America at this time. Uh, By 1943, Americans had seen a lot of footage and read a lot of stories of Jehovah's Witnesses being persecuted in Nazi Germany and sent to concentration camps for refusing to salute the Nazi flag. Mm -hmm. So that... The justices who said that they had made a mistake all comes together to make a new decision, which is a six to three decision to overrule Minersville v. Gobitis. So West Virginia v. Barnett is a case that makes it within your constitutional rights to not say the Pledge of Allegiance. Justice Jackson wrote the decision and the famous quote from this one is he said, if there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official high or petty can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. So I love that. That's yeah. beautiful. And there's no big ones for a while. And then we go to New York City in the 1960s. This is about the first case in the history of our country where this statue was even used. When Patrolman Copeland made his arrest, he did not know that he made the first arrest in the history of the state of New York for public burning up a flag. And we're talking about Street v. New York, 1969. Street? Street is the guy's name. Do you know about this case? No. Oh, it's such a cool case. Oh, my God. I mean, the coolest people get involved in Supreme Court cases, the coolest stories. Yeah. So cast your mind back to 1966. The case is 1969, but this happens in 1966. Okay. I happen to be rereading Just Kids, so I'm there. Oh, you're right there. I'm right there. So we're in the 60s, and we're in our old friend, the Warren Court from uh, Tinker V. Warren. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish I had a constitutional scholar to walk me through this, and it's radio, so we should. someone should be like, hey, does somebody say my name? But we don't have that. Yeah. But hey, uh, we do what we can. So 1966, uh, there's a civil rights activist named James Meredith. James Meredith is uh, part of a protest. He is walking from Memphis, Tennessee, to Jackson, Mississippi, and he's promoting vote, voter registration after the, uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And he's, he's talking about and he's exposing racism across the South. And he's trying to encourage African-Americans to vote, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's shot. 
Is he killed? He's not killed. It comes over the radio across the country. James Meredith has been shot by an unidentified sniper. That comes across the radio in a guy's apartment in Brooklyn. And it's a guy named Sidney Street. Sidney Street is a decorated Bronze Star veteran. He himself is African-American. He went to his drawer, took out an American flag, went down from his apartment to a street corner, put a piece of paper on the, uh, on the street, holding the flag in one hand, properly folded, put a match to it, and set it on fire. But then when it starts to burn so much he can't hold it in his hand, he puts it on the piece of paper. He never lets the flag touch the ground. <sighs> that is... Anyway, go on. So interesting. And this is really important. A police officer later testified that he heard Sidney Street say, if they did that to Meredith, we don't need an American flag. The reason this matters is that New York State had a law, had a statute at the time, that you couldn't desecrate the flag by words or deed. You couldn't say bad stuff about the flag, and you couldn't desecrate it physically. Sydney Street is charged with malicious mischief for unlawfully burning the American flag and for saying bad words about the American flag. So this is an absolute squeaker. So what's the decision? It's a 5-4 decision. And it's, it's kind of confusing to me. Okay. It's called, it's reverse and remand. Ugh, it's kind of like. What is remand? Remand means you send it back to the lowercase for, oh, a, tr- for a retrial. Okay. Like it's the state's business, mm-hmm. or it's your it's that it's that other court's business. Because it was a state's law. It was, but it's it's kind of like you guys take care of this. Hmm. So they the court decides by a five four vote that the law about the words about speaking bad about the flag that is unconstitutional. But when it comes to burning the flag, let's just we don't. They totally kick the can on this one. Really it's a famous can kicking. And uh, the court does not decide whether or not it was constitutional for him to burn the flag. Wow. Yeah. It's kicked down in the 1970s, kicked down in the 1980s, and then we get to 1984, the Republican National Convention in Dallas, Texas. And it is my great privilege to proclaim the 33rd Republican National Convention in session and call it to order. We represent people who are patriotic, who believe in our American system and love our country. Number four, Texas v. Johnson. Reagan and George H.W. have been nominated for the second term, and everybody at the RNC is banging gavels and getting all excited. Mm -hmm. Outside this convention, on the steps of City Hall, there's a guy named Gregory Lee Johnson who goes with the name Joey, Gregory Johnson, and he takes an American flag and he burns it. I've seen. And he spits on it. Yeah. Yeah. Texas has a law. Texas legislature may prohibit overt physical acts that it deems offensive slash harmful to society. All right. Texas loses the case and it keeps getting Texas keeps appealing it and it goes up to the top. So Texas's name being first, they lost the previous case. What is most interesting to me about this case, uh, I kind of I found like a personal hero when I was researching this case. And it's the guy who's the advocate for Johnson, the uh, the lawyer named William Kunstler. By the way, talking about flags in front of the Supreme Court, when I came by today, the flags were up in the rain. And under 
36 U.S. Code. The leading uh, <laughs> provision there is flags shall not be displayed in inclement weather. Are you going and to that exemption one applies to all weather flags. That's an all weather flag. That could be physical mistreatment under the Texas statute. Mr. You get Trump, into vagueness. Sir, are you going to get back to the case? Yes, I'm getting back to the case. <laughs> Seems to me we had this three weeks ago. He is very funny. And you, as you hear when he's arguing the case, everybody's laughing. Thurgood Marshall is like, can we get back to the case? Uh, he, he, he defended the Chicago 7. He defended the Black Panthers, the Weather Underground. Real pariahs, people that could be totally hated by most of the population of this country. Well, what makes Kunstler pariah-bound? Well, I have found that it is the pariahs for whom the law changes. And what bigger pariah than a flag burner? So in his argument, he cites Street, he cites Barnett, and the court makes its decision. And it's another 5-4 vote, another squeaker. And the court holds that Johnson's burning of the flag is protected speech Hmm. under the First Amendment. Justice William Brennan, famed advocate of the First Amendment, he's the one who writes the decision, and he has the sort of money quote, which is, if there is a bedrock principle underlying the First Amendment, it is that government may not prohibit the expression of an idea simply because society finds the idea itself offensive or disagreeable. And then Kunstler, on the steps after the decision is read, says this. And it tests the First Amendment, whether you can see a harsh thing like that, which war war veterans complain about, which touches a lot of people who do have certain reverence for the flag, to have that burnt, desecrated in their eyes, and yet protected by the First Amendment, I think is a hard nut to swallow, but it's the kind of nut that the Founding Fathers wanted us to swallow, because they said that it's the hard words, not the soft words, that need protection. Uh, That decision invalidates laws in 48 states right off the bat. Wow. Suddenly overnight. Yeah. But there's one last, one last bit to this. Okay. Hannah, which is Congress since Texas v. Johnson and starting in the mid 90s, really 1990s, has on many occasions tried to pass a new amendment to our constitution. So we've talked before about how an amendment gets ratified into the Constitution. It has to pass a two-thirds majority in the House and in the Senate, and then two-thirds of the states have to uh, agree as well. The actual amendment has been written. It's just waiting to be ratified. And the amendment says, the Congress shall have power to prohibit the physical desecration of the flag of the United States. That's it. Even though it is opposed to a Supreme Court decision? Yeah, because if it's amendment, it would change that because it'd be in our Constitution. Yeah. That's very interesting. So from the years 1995 to 2005, this amendment uh, passed in the House six times. And each time it lost in the Senate by a handful or two of votes. Uh, In 2006, it got to the Senate and it lost by one vote. But even though it lost by just one vote Mm -hmm. in the Senate, uh, all 50 states have pledged uh, Uh that they are for this uh, flag desecration amendment. Oh, so if it gets to the Senate, it's pretty much a guarantee. Is it currently up for a vote? Yeah. So the amendment right now, it was proposed in June of 2017. Okay. And it was kicked to the Senate Judiciary Committee. So it's in committee, as they say. Yeah. It's in committee. All right. And who knows where it's going to go from there? Seems pretty likely to happen maybe next this year. Who knows? Right? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? One for the ages, I guess. 
Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Nick. Well, that just about does it for this IRL. Today's episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, and Hannah McCarthy. Music was by Coconut Monkey Rocket. And our theme song is by Petey Wheatstraw, 1937. Archival Supreme Court audio came from Oye, that's O-Y-E-Z dot org. And if you've made it this far, you are most definitely someone who will enjoy Extra Credit. That's our weekly newsletter that sort of dives into the ephemera and trivia related to our regular episode topics. Just go to civics101podcast.org and click Extra Credit to subscribe or read old archived issues. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire's Public Radio.